0: Hello, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I am Kimberly Trung, and by my virtual left, I have Doug Ameth.
1: This time last week, I said, happy Master's Week to everyone. Enjoy the golf tournament. And you two said, golf was boring. (laughs) Well, I joined a Master's betting pool. And I was for the first three rounds in first place to win $3,000. And I slipped to second place to win $1,000. There were hundreds of people in this pool. And I slipped to third place to win $500. And then I finally, the last few holes of the tournament, I slipped into fourth place and won a fat $0. So don't tell me golf isn't exciting.
0: I feel bad for you. And that is the most exciting thing I've heard about golf. I
1: have about seven
2: seven <laughs> kids to feed, as you know.
0: <laughs> and to my virtual right, I've got Paul Ducklin.
2: Oh, sorry. I fell asleep there because someone was talking about <laughs> golf. Uh, but I'm back. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> Welcome back, Duck. Let me just quickly tease the oh-no of the week, which obviously, as you know, happens at the end of the episode, unless you're new to this. Uh, podcast welcome but yes we have an ono at the end of this episode and the thing I will say about the ono this week is don't throw rocks in a glass house is that how the phrase goes
1: I think it is right people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones but you had it pretty
2: close
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know what I I love uh, making a phrase my own.
2: Kimberly had the Google Translate version of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did. I had the Google Translate version. Doug, what are the headlines this week?
1: All right. We're going to talk about Capcom's very excellent non-ransomware payment and auxiliarily whether Capcom is a cult gaming company or not. We're going to talk about (laughs) the Sophos 2021 threat report. And then Kim did an excellent interview with Katie Mazuris. So we'll play a little bit of that. But first, fun fact... 7% of American adults believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows, and that 7% to me seems low.
0: I'm ashamed to be an American.
1: Because of the milk thing?
2: Maybe you should be reassured that at least they think that something with milk in it comes from cows at all. That's good, yeah. It comes from a a carton.
1: Chocolate milk? Diabetic nightmare. I'm saying that as a type (laughs) 1 diabetic. It's It's not good for you. It's real bad. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about Capcom. So Capcom suffered a ransomware attack. It looks like it might be the Ragnar Locker gang. Rumors suggest the initial payment demand might have been around $11 million. Capcom said no. Hundreds of thousands of records were potentially accessed. Customers, current and former staff, shareholders. Uh, So what what happened, Paul?
2: Well, Doug, my understanding is that uh, Capcom have now they're now in the invidious position of basically having to to report themselves to the regulators in the UK and in Japan uh, because of, of course they've had a data breach. They've come up with what they think they know about how many records of which type. Were accessed and what was involved. So in some cases, we're talking about you know there might have been 140,000 of this sort of record where it was just uh, um, name and email address, for example, maybe name, email address, and telephone number. Unfortunately, for for 10 or 14,000 employees, it may have been HR records, which we imagine might include things like home address, home phone number, employment history, maybe even social security number and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, this data got dumped because they refused to pay. So the crooks had already stolen it. And well, as far as we know, Capcom just figured they were going to go this alone, and they were not going to—they were not going to pay hush money. And so, for all that you have to say, my golly, that's a very bad look. They had this data breach, and all this stuff's got out. Uh, you also have to say, thank you very much for not paying eleven million dollars. Uh, in a way that we know jolly well gets ploughed straight back into attacking the next guy, as we as we spoke about on the podcast not long ago about Revil. It was Revil, wasn't it? Those guys right. they put a million dollars right. in Bitcoins straight back into the hey, fund a hacker bucket on an underground forum. <laughs> yeah. You know, money that yeah. they could never it wasn't their we'll spend a million dollars. They couldn't get the money back once they'd paid it in. They said, we'll pay this for experts in backup, so we can go and ruin your backup before we scramble you next time. We want experts in virtual machine management software. So if we so we know we're recruiting people who will be able to go in and and zap all your virtual machines and all your servers from the console make it easier demand more money so that's where the money goes and Capcom bless their hearts as far as we know uh didn't give in to the money so it's a bad look for them but the flip side is it's kind of a good look as well
1: and what, and you see this it, a cynic might say that from the looks of what was leaked it's I don't want to say not serious data but it's like name, address, phone number, there's not like social security numbers, there's not credit card info, there's not like really damning stuff that was leaked. So a cynic might say, if I'm at Capcom, like it actually, I mean, it was a big one, but they didn't really, It, it from the looks of it, they didn't, they may yeah, not the have gotten like really bad stuff right. that would make it worth.
2: That we know so far. Yeah, we, we had a, a commenter on Naked Security making that point saying, no financials, no credit card numbers, no passwords, no problem. And, you know, I think they were being a little, this is a regular commentary. They're sort of being, I think they're being upbeat about it. They weren't saying it really was no problem. They were just saying it could have been a lot worse. But the problem is that anything that gets loose in a data breach is a problem, if you think about it. Because Mm -hmm. A, you can't get it back. And B, it's, it's things like your address, your home address is kind of worse than your credit card number, because I can go to the bank tomorrow. Now, the UK don't issue cards right away. I'd have to wait five days for a new one, and then it would show up, ironically, at my home address that the crooks might know. But it's much harder to move. And what about things like date of birth, which are still used as a kind of telltale here and there for ID? You can't change that. And social security numbers, certainly in the US, you didn't used to be able to change them at all unless you were in some Super mega witness protection thing or something. Apparently, there are now ways that you can do it, but it is not an exercise to be entered into lightly. So the problem is that there are things that that don't sound immediately damaging, like oh, they didn't get my credit card number. But that's great; it means the crooks can't steam in and spend money on your account right away. But you know, any loss is a bad loss, and so that's to be regretted. And uh, the other thing, of course, that that Capcom and bless their hearts, they did. They did make this point themselves. They said, unfortunately, because data got scrambled, so we've lost some stuff, we can't can't put our hands on our hearts and say, this is exactly what went missing, because, of course, their logs are messed up. And this, before you laugh, this is a problem that faces anybody who's had a breach and only realizes, say, days or weeks later that the crooks have been in, is you can get a very good idea of what probably happened, but how can you ever be sure you know how do you how do you know well if there was malware before the malware before the malware what else might the crooks have looked at what else might they have changed what system security settings might have been fiddled that would let someone else get in tomorrow you know how much can we believe the logs that we've got how 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 trustworthy are our backups even so that's always a problem that you know when when you have been the victim of an attack like this Uh, It can be very you can be almost certain what happened, but it's very difficult to come out and, and be absolutely certain and praise to Capcom for not saying we know blah, 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 blah. They've said as far as we can tell X and Y and Z, but we must admit that the logs were scrambled. So, you know, watch this space. And I think that's that that's a. That's about as, as trustworthy a response as they can give at this point. They're not trying, as far as I can see, they don't seem to be trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, which is good news.
1: Okay, so if you're a company like Camp, Capcom or a company in general, what kinds of
2: things can you do? To- well, we don't know how they got in in this case, and that may be hard to tell. And it, uh, I know that uh, I believe law enforcement are involved, so that may only come out later exactly what happened, because that might be important not to share publicly, even if it's known. But we do know from our own State of Ransomware 2020 survey that that Sophos did earlier this year that you've probably got about, it it seems that it's about 45% of attacks start with one sort of phishing or another. So either uh, a a dodgy download you're persuaded to make, a dodgy web link you're persuaded to follow, which typically means you put your password into the wrong site, um, or an email with an attachment that you're... Somehow persuaded to open and then click a button, and that gives the crooks their beachhead. And of course, uh, another another perennial favourite for the crooks are remote access portals like SSH and RDP, where you either have forgotten that they were there at all because you meant to turn, you set this remote access up once and then kind of forgot about it, or where you haven't reviewed security settings on those systems, and maybe you still have some users who don't have two-factor authentication, still have bad passwords, and the crooks are just able to guess their way in. So those seem to be the two, the two main things that you should concern yourself with as the mode of entry. And the third, of course, is if you've already got malware on your computer, a lot of malware these days and and for many years, has had the ability to take remote commands from the crooks to upgrade itself to something new. So the typical sort of what would you call it to trifecta that you'll often hear mentioned because it, it exemplifies this is, well, you get an infection with malware called Emotet. And actually all that really is there for is for the Emotet guys to sell access to your computer onto the next guys and they come along and that might be a gang called say TrickBot. And when the TrickBot guys have done their data stealing stuff, then they hand over to say the Ryuk gang who do the ransomware bit. So you you need to look at your remote access portals, things particularly on Windows, things like RDP. You need to keep your users thinking, you know, fresh and strongly about how to resist phishing. Don't ignore signs that you have been breached, even if you haven't had the ransomware attack yet, because that might be coming tomorrow.
1: So the title of this article is Cult Video Game Company Capcom Pays a Big Round Zero to Ransomware Crooks.
2: And we've we've got an issue. Yeah, we had a couple of commenters taking issue with that. Now, I didn't say cult company that does video games. I said, cult video game company. And the reason I said that is, A, I thought it tripped nicely off the tongue. And B, I thought, you know what? I can't mention the company that made Street Fighter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, cetera, without suggesting that that game might have a cult following. And I thought, I even no, I'm not a gamer myself. I thought I was on very safe grounds. But some people said, oh, that's not a cult game. It's not cool enough. And other people said, oh, no, to be a cult game, it has to have, be a minority game that hardly anybody knows about. Doug, what's your ruling? My
1: ruling is, as a, a, a semi-avid gamer, context is very important here. Okay, If we look, there are multiple definitions of cult. The one I think we're going with here is a person or thing that is popular or fashionable, especially among a particular section of society, for example, a cult film. So is Capcom a household name? To most gamers, yes, it is. To non-gamers, however, it's probably not a household name. But even non-gamers may have heard of Street Fighter, of Mega Man, and maybe of Resident Evil, even though Resident Evil is their top-selling franchise. So, if you like survival horror, if that's your thing, if that's your, if you have a cult-like uh, following to survival horror games, Resident Evil, that series is the gold standard. If you like action platformers, you've got a cult-like following because of the Mega Man series, more than 50 Mega Man games across multiple systems. If you like fighting games, you have a cult following for Capcom because of Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom. If you like hack and slash games with whimsical animals and RPG elements, you like Monster Hunter, Devil May Cry, Dragon's Dogma, Ghosts and Goblins. The bottom line is that Capcom games have a very distinct feel to them. See, it's a cult-like following.
2: There's also, to me, the very important issue that you have to think it's quite cool that the company has kept its original name. And my understanding is it comes from capsule computer which is japanese english for arcade console so they're they're remembering they're remembering where they came from which is when you went in and put your what do you call it a quarter in the us and had a, a load more in case you in case you died before your time so yeah i'm sticking with that it. it was a the cult video game company it's a pity this happened to them uh but you know and they're not the only company recently it seems to be increasingly the case that the fact that these ransomware crooks have they've gone from you know extortion for encryption keys to plain old fashioned blackmail over pay us the money and and you'll buy your way out of this, basically hush money, because they can never prove that they deleted that data or didn't sell it on or didn't get it stolen from themselves, right? They can never actually prove that. Whereas the decryption key they sell you, either it works or it doesn't. That's a little more clear cut. And I think people are starting to realise, wow, a this has driven the price up, and it's just absurd that 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 we are paying over that much money to the crooks, uh, and b well, you know, this is this really isn't on. There, there can be no question of honor among thieves now. So maybe maybe this, maybe this increased aggression and greed on the part of the crooks, maybe it will be their undoing. We can only hope.
0: Well, I think the other, <laughs> the silver lining also to come out of this story, which I found humorous, Duck, is the quotes that you pulled out from people uh, who scoped out uh, some of the design docs for some upcoming releases from Capcom. And people are rather excited <laughs>
2: Yeah, I thought that was. I, I agree. I thought that was rather nice. That instead of instead of moaning about, oh look, they did a contract with this or blah blah blah, or you know, or or gloating over leaked financials, they're going, oh cool. So so and so is coming out, and oh, this game that was only available in the Japanese market looks like we'll be getting it in America. So that they've they've actually kind of taken this in a good spirit. Uh, I would still say, you know, if if you come across data that you know comes from something like a ransomware extortion breach like this where the crooks said pay or we'll release it and then they release it please don't look at it unless you like law enforcement you have an absolute need to do so because if you do you're kind of you're kind of playing into the hands of the crooks but it seems that people who couldn't resist looking in this case have actually they've seen the good in it and trying to turn it into a, a, an upside for Capcom although and not much of an upside, but it's better than nothing, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'd be really bad if they lost all this data. But then people were looking at the new designs and releases coming up and going, "Wow, these suck!" Uh, talk about <laughs> talk about a bad day on top of a bad day. So. If you enjoyed hearing about this story, you can head on over to nakedsecurity.sofos.com and read this article.
1: This is the point in the show where we usually have, uh, we pull a comment that's hanging in comment purgatory. Like I don't know if this should be blocked or allowed. It's sitting in the back end of the Naked Security website. I would like to forego that this week to talk about some real comment spam I've been getting sent to my home in the mailbox. It has to do with next Friday, which is Black (laughs) Friday. I just want to read you some of the things that were on pieces of mail in my mailbox. Oh my god! And then
2: I, I'd like to block or allow them. Uh, is this actual physical mail? Physical like mail, like in an envelope that came th- into your into your physical into my You guys home. don't have a slot in the door. Oh, across <laughs> the here. threshold
1: into my <laughs> private home. No.
2: Yes. <laughs> Offending me greatly.
1: I'm Number excited. one. It's kind of
2: worse than email, isn't it's it? Because you think they have to cut down. They have to cut down trees to do yep. that.
1: Black Friday sale in progress. No. Blocked. It's not. Black Friday's (laughs) next Friday. Black Friday early access. No such thing. Doesn't work. Black Friday's next Friday. Sneak peek. Then start shopping Black Friday deals on November 22nd. No, that's this Sunday. We're talking about next Friday. Blocked. (laughs) Black Friday deals. Shop these amazing deals today. No, I won't. I'll shop them next Friday. Black Friday your way. Pick any day between November 1st and 15th to save $30. Are you crazy? That's not even, you're not even trying to shoot for the actual day. No, blocked. Black Friday prices guaranteed. Ends tomorrow. This piece of mail showed up at my house. I've been saving it since October 13th.
2: That's generous, isn't it? Yeah.
1: In mid-October, shop tomorrow for Black Friday Friday prices guaranteed. Get out of here.
2: Well, it's a great reminder about what we've always been saying from a cybersecurity point of view, that it actually isn't about Black Friday. It isn't about Friday. It isn't about Thursday or Friday. It isn't about the week with Black Friday isn't even about the month with Black Friday. It is about the fact that if the crooks can take something off you yesterday, today, or tomorrow, they will try. So... Watch out!
1: Another reminder that Black Friday is meant to be spent outside in the cold, looking for a Nintendo Wii
0: at Comp USA.
1: Good gracious, Doug! If you haven't found it yet, I still have my Wii. I still use it. I, I do Wii you Fit. That's do. why I'm in such peak physical condition. Yeah,
0: <laughs> all that Wii golf you've been, you've been those,
2: playing. Those six hundred dollar bats yep. you bought. I had to.
1: I had to replace the the CD drive in it uh, at one point, which was kind of fun. The what? There's a the disc drive that where all the, the game discs go in. It failed on me and the I had disc. to replace it.
2: <laughs> you mean <laughs> it actually, <laughs> a round thing that oh, rotates, it spins around. <laughs> I wouldn't, if someone gave me a CD and said, hey, there's some cool data on there or there's some malware I want you to analyze, I wouldn't know what to do with it anymore. Like how would, I've got no way to read it. One of our neighbors
1: dropped off a children's DVD for our kids. Like here, we thought your kids would like this. And I was like, what, you just gave me a chore and I have to throw this away. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's rude.
0: I know. Oh, I hate DVDs. Although question, are there any deals that you would want to take advantage of, of all those coupons that came into your mail?
1: I, I'm, I'm always on a lookout for a good price on a TV, but I don't need it. Like the, the, the TV thing, is just a weird obsession with me. Like, why don't we just put a TV in every room? And my wife's like, <laughs> why would, why, why oh, but we don't?
2: I, would, I don't think I'd know how to tune a TV these days. If you, you still do that tune or a they tv just come pre-tuned no 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 i guess I, if how you, do you lock into the channels yeah you, you can get free buttons
0: but you i think no no how do
2: you lock how do you how do you how do you when you buy a new tv how do you how does it know what to pick up it does like haven't uh, just basically saying i haven't used a tv for for so long i've kind no, of no, forgotten now no, it yeah
1: it's different now paul you uh you load an app up on it and you load up youtube tv <laughs> and then you watch your tv that way you stream it
0: Although you st-
2: So it's basically like a giant telephone.
0: It's like Back to the Future. Remember the TVs in Back to the Future? Well, technically, I'm talking about Back to the Future 2.
2: That's a little bit of a contradiction in terms. How come they didn't know? How come in Back to the Future, they didn't feature Back to the Future 2? Because they would have known it was coming. They made three of them, too.
0: Fun fact about Back to the Future 1, that movie was intended to only be one movie. They never intended to make it into... A trilogy or have a sequel after the first one
2: fun fact you know the delorean was supposed to be a car mm-hmm.
0: the delorean was supposed to be a fridge what fun fact yes it was meant to be a fridge in the original draft of back to the future which funny enough another fun fact about i know too much about back to the future <laughs> uh the original title of back to the future was it was suggested from one of the executives who had bought the film that it could be called uh the I think it's called uh, The Spaceman from Pluto was supposed to be the original title that the executive threw out. And Steven Spielberg uh, hated the name. Well, obviously, Robert Zemeckis and uh, the whole gang, Steven Spielberg, they all hated the name. And it's a very specific nod to in the movie, there's a movie theater, and when he goes back in time, that's the movie that's on the marquee.
3: I know way too much about
0: (laughs) that. Yes, Guys, you do. this is not what this podcast is about. Let's get into the next segment, which is the Threat Report. It has combined research from a number of our groups, our labs team. We also have Sophos Managed Threat Response, the Rapid Response team, our artificial intelligence team, cloud security team. And there's four main parts. First part, ransomware, and its recent transformation into a two-headed attack involving extortion for the decryption key and blackmail to delete stolen files. That's the first part. Second part, it goes into the other malware that still poses a significant threat to organizations as well as a very cool infographic of a 20 year history of malware.
2: Yeah find find your favorite malware I shouldn't use the word favorite um but old timers <laughs> old timers amongst us you go back there I, I I hope they got code red well of course we have code red I I hope they've got bagel yes we've got bagel you know you f- find the virus that hurt you back in the early 2000s uh, and see whether it's on the list and it also gives you a it gives you a, a fantastic idea in a sort of one page visual chart of of firstly, what the crooks have come up with over the years. Uh, secondly, the fact that the old threats are still a problem, like those techniques haven't gone away. They've just been augmented with other stuff. Um, but it sort of grows through that whole stage of of malware becoming more and more and more about money and lately becoming about not just your money, but about your data when you look at modern ransomware. So it's that for anyone who's been in the, in the IT game or the virus hunting game for several years, that chart is is maybe a blast from the past that you kind of you don't want to see, but you can't afford to miss.
0: Clearly, you can walk down the malware memory lane uh, looking at this threat report. So that is part two. Part three is how cybersecurity has been affected in 2020, obviously this year, and um, by the twin factors of the coronavirus pandemic and working from home. So our take on how these two major world events have uh, changed how cybercriminals are working. And then the last part is the evolution of attacks against devices that aren't laptops or servers. So we're talking phones, routers, smart TVs and other IoT non-traditional computers. In the report, you'll also find useful details on how cyber criminals are turning software that many of you already use on your own networks against you. So they're aiming to hide in plain sight from your own IT security team.
2: For those who, who like the jargon, that's what's known as living off the land. In other words, the the you know, or or where wearing the same clothes and speaking the same language as the locals. It's like you don't stand out if you want to hack someone's, if you want to to do network sniffing or to steal passwords and you bring your own tool that has never been on the network before, it might cause an alert. But if you use the same tool that the IT team used yesterday for defensive purposes, but you covertly use it for attack purposes, it's obviously much harder to notice because you even though it, it could be used for evil, you kind of fit in with stuff being used for good. And the crooks have really learned how to do that. We have got a chart in there that for I think it's for the Dharma ransomware that it, it gives you a giant list of all the tools and exploits and tricks that they use and there are there are many software tools in there that you will probably notice are things that you already have somewhere on your network and it, either the crooks bring exactly the same one that you've got or they go and find the ones that are already on your network and use them so they don't even have to import anything
0: again check it out in the report The last thing I will mention is one that we'll talk a little bit right now, which uh, Duck has actually written about our labs team wrote about earlier this year, and that is Cloud Snooper. So in the threat report, we lightly touch upon this piece of malware, which uh, was actually sneaking into your Linux servers. So Duck, what is it about Cloud Snooper that makes this special?
2: Well, it's the whole Kimberly, the whole wolf in sheep's clothing idea, uh, and it you know we obviously in the threat report since there's already a naked security article and a labs report from earlier in the year we didn't repeat all of that. So in the article in in the threat report we just we just mentioned that you know this, this is a reminder that it's not all about Windows, and it seems that in, on Windows we talked about living off the land where the crooks genuinely want to fit in that. It, it, it's it's almost decreasingly likely that they'll use super trick software to like rootkits to try and do stuff because they're more likely to trigger alarms. But you can still see that cyber crooks like to think of weird ways of doing things by looking at this particular cloud Snooper example, and it's a Linux kernel driver. It gives itself a name that looks like it's something to do with the sound card. So the the driver name that the crooks chose was SND underscore. And if you look at the drivers loaded on your Linux system, you might well find a whole load of those. Uh, So you might not notice this extra one. And you'd imagine, well, kernel driver, it could do anything it wants. It can snoop on everything. It can steal all your data. But in fact, what they're doing in this case is they're using it to peek at your network traffic, not to try and sniff out what you're talking about, because these days increasingly that's encrypted, so there's not much point, but basically to look for what you might call artifacts in network packets, legitimate uh, looking network packets that have some weird but not especially suspicious characteristic about them. So, for example, they choose a specific TCP source port, technically, which is normally chosen randomly when a computer connects to you. In this case, the crooks use specific port numbers as a little signal that their kernel driver pulls out and goes, ah, they're giving me the secret signal. So it's a little bit like a, a real-time network-based way of doing what you may have heard of uh called steganography in images, which you know, take an image and you, you hide some data in some, some grainy pixels in the bottom left corner where you hope no one will notice that there's data hidden in there at all. So instead of trying to encrypt it where it might stand out, oh, I wonder what they've got to hide, you kind of put it in plain sight, and then you have something on the other end that uses that as a little trigger that says, right, they want us to start stealing data. They want us to start turn on this feature. They want us to unload from memory quickly because the police are coming or whatever it is. So it, it's a, the, the cloud snooper story is a, is, a, is a fascinating read if you're interested in what crooks can do when they're inside the kernel, this is on Linux, where their goal is not to take over everything. Their goal is just to be able to use very, very tiny amounts of low-level data to sneak signals into your company that means something special to malware that they've already implanted. So it just goes to show how the crooks think laterally in order to try and get a way of signaling to themselves. And also, of course, of exfiltrating data, like what was the answer to the question? And instead of answering the question bluntly and directly by sticking it in a in a web request and uploading it where it stands out, they just they leave they, they put the signal somewhere in a network packet where unless you already know what to look for, you probably won't notice.
1: Paul's got a write up on Naked Security, Sophos twenty twenty one threat report, or you can access the report directly, Sophos.com slash threat report. So kind of gets they get to this point in the podcast and I'm kinda like, need a little little kind of break, like I'm looking for like something, just a little palate cleanser, something like kind of whimsical and magical, like...
0: Something know. to just get my mind off all the bad news yeah, <laughs> that, like that we've just
1: Poem had or something, you. I don't know, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be an exact poem, but who's who's like good at poetry around here? It's like
2: a... 2FA! It's not so hard, so why not find a way to turn it on and make it work? And how about today?
0: Ooh! Oh, yes. short and a little sweet. Little different meter that's this exact, time. Yes, this exactly that's what, I, what I, needed. I needed.
1: Just like having a little cookie with your cup of coffee.
0: Mm, uh, I just got my second wind.
2: A biscuit, if you will. If Fun with the serious side. Seriously, folks, I know. I know that Kimberly has compared this to us being a broken record before when we talk about proper passwords and two-factor authentication. You might as well do it because. 15 seconds of inconvenience to you could be 15 months of delay to the crooks. And why would you not take that kind of advantage?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, um here in America, we're going to be off next week. I'm going to be fighting the Black Friday crowds, of course.
0: <laughs> in person.
1: No mask. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> no Black Friday do. this year. That's right. Uh, so in lieu of that, for these... Uh, times when we're going to be on break, we're going to do kind of some longer form interviews with people in the industry, maybe some people at Sophos that have interesting stories. So Kim did a fascinating interview with Katie Mazuris. Um, I have edited a lot of these podcasts. This was probably the one I was most actively engaged and interested in while I was editing it. So it may be a terrible edit because I just let it go. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was just listening. So... What we're going to do, Kim, set up, tell us a little bit about the interview, and then we're going to play, uh, I thought there was a great clip, the first the first part of the interview she talks about, um, uh, she set up Microsoft's first bug bounty program, so, but what, t- tell us a little bit about the interview.
0: Yeah, so it's a very quick, pro- I shouldn't say quick, uh, I think it's a in-depth profile of uh, a person that I think we should all know and admire and acknowledge in the industry, Katie Misouris of Luta Security. And uh, she developed Microsoft's first bug bounty program. She's a leader in bug bounties. She is an incredible mind and an incredible person. So we talk a little bit about business, of course. How did she get into the industry? How, you know, what was her inspiration behind half of the things happening in her career? But also uh, on the more personal side, who are people who have impacted her career in a positive way, her life. And uh, I think it's a really fun time and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Doug. So enjoy this quick clip. And if you like what you hear, obviously tune in
3: next week. Basically, it was a data-driven approach. And what we were looking at was Microsoft's reports that were coming in for free, were very valuable. You know, certainly those finders could have chosen to sell their findings on an alternate market, what I call the offense market. (laughs) Yeah, definitely Um, not do good stuff with that. But, you know, these folks were interested in getting the vulnerabilities fixed, and so they were turning them in for free to Microsoft. But one key element to this data that we were looking at is that uh, a lot of them were turning in specifically um, vulnerabilities that only affected the beta products, they were holding on to those bugs during the beta period, not reporting them, and waiting until after the beta period was over to turn them into Microsoft. Wow. And we were like, that's some pretty annoying behavior. And like, why why are they doing this? They're willing to help us for free. So it's not like they were, you know, hoping for for a buyer out there and whatnot. I mean, they could have gotten one if that's what they wanted. So why are they turning it into us for free, but kind of at the worst possible time? right? Like after the beta period is over. interesting. And we figured it out. It's because the only incentive at the time was them getting their name published in a bulletin, acknowledging that we were thanking them. And if the vulnerability only affected the beta product and no other products in that same product line, they knew that their only chance of getting what little reward we offered them was contingent upon that vulnerability remaining in the product all the way through the beta period and making it into the final product. So we had unwittingly set up an incentive that got the finders doing something that they didn't even want to do. They just wanted the credit. And if that's all we were willing to give them, they were naturally just going to wait until they could get that credit. So we put the bug bounty for Internet Explorer during the first 30 days of the IE beta period for Internet Explorer 11. And it was solely based on me just showing the head of IE um, the traffic of vulnerable reports where we got hardly anything during the beta period of IE10 and then a huge spike of submissions right after beta was over. And I said, look, this is a traffic shaping exercise. We can put an incentive at the beginning of the beta period and convince these hackers who are already friendly towards us just to come a bit sooner. And it's win, win, win. It's win for Microsoft because they get the bug information sooner. And while all the engineers are actively working on identifying, fixing bugs, this is the most useful time for them to get that information. So it's win for Microsoft. It's win for the hackers because they get earlier recognition and they don't have to worry about their bug evaporating magically during the beta period and they still get their credit and they also get a financial reward. And finally, it's a win for the users of Microsoft products, because who doesn't want to get a product that has had as many of its security bugs wrung out in the wash during beta as possible?
0: Again, I think she's a brilliant mind. If you enjoyed that little preview, tune in next week. We have a great full episode with Katie Mazuris. She's a cool, cool cat, so you won't want to miss it.
1: I went to school out near Seattle, down in Tacoma, actually. Uh, and I would beta test for Microsoft because you could go, this is my favorite program Microsoft's ever done. So you'd go up to the Microsoft campus and they bring you in a room and they'd show you like um, a product or a product they were thinking of doing. You'd be part of this focus group. And then when you were done, they trotted you.
2: You had to use Microsoft, Bob. <laughs> like that's not a, that's not not fair, filtering. Doug. Like they didn't pay you enough.
1: When you're done, they they would trot you into the Microsoft store and you could pick one item that you wanted. And oh. so people would be like, I'm going to take this hoodie, I'm going to take this t-shirt, I'm going to take like this this game that software in there. I would always without fail cuz I was a poor college student, I would grab a copy of Office Professional, which had a street value of about $350, and then I'd sell it on eBay. And that's how I made money in college.
0: <laughs> that, well, you know what? You're an entre- you were very entrepreneurial for a student. Yeah. So the Bug Bounty
1: Program... Did you check
2: the statute of limitations on (laughs) that? Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that was more than seven years ago, believe it or not. I know I look youthful, but... So (laughs) Microsoft Bug Bounty Program, good. Beta Tester Program, even better.
0: All right, we have reached that point in the episode. It is time for the oh, no, of the week. Now, this one made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. This one made me laugh really hard because I think this is a... I would... I want to be this person one day, I want to be very clever like this person and have a very clever witty retort for someone who who speaks ill to me one day, but I'll get right into it. Spuddy23 writes, I used to work tech support at a place that used to sell mortgages. They had a fairly specialized piece of software that they used. One of the brokers asked me how to do something specific in it that I didn't know how to do off the top of my head. So I mentioned I didn't know how to do what he needed, but I would find out and get back to him. He said to me, that's not good enough. You are a computer expert. You should know these things. So I said to him, okay, I have a $250,000 home loan with XYZ Bank over 25 years. We are eight years into the loan. If I want to change this to a 30-year mortgage, how much would my monthly repayments be and how much extra total interest would I need to pay for the extra five years on the loan? He said, I'd have to calculate that and let you know. To which I replied, that's not good enough. You're a mortgage expert. You should know these things. The
1: end. Got him.
0: Ah, what a great I would, retort!
1: I would run into stuff like this—not this, this aggressive—but when I had a computer repair business, people would be like, "Do you uh, I have a problem with my Mac?" And I'd be like, "I don't really work on Macs. I don't use them. I don't know them that well." And they'd be like, "Well, you're a computer guy." Or like, "My my Palm Pilot. I have a Palm Pilot 7 I'm like, "I don't. I don't. I'm 22. I don't use a Palm Pilot. What are you talking about?" So I used to do. I used to do half price for Macs, and I would say up front, like, "I do not know what I'm doing, but I'll charge you half." <laughs> it's <laughs> going to take me at least twice as long, and maybe I'll learn a little something. So keep that in That's mind if fantastic. you have your own. Do people have computer repair businesses anymore? Is that a thing?
0: I drove by a physical one the other day.
2: It's good to see the artisan stores competing with the big chains, you know, where you you, you, you drop it off and there, there, there's a fixed fee, and then at some later stage, you come and yeah. collect it. Uh, but, you know, it, it's things like data recovery yeah. and if your computer won't boot... You know, paying someone you know and trust, you know, 150 bucks to fix it, it sounds like a lot, but when you think that that could take hours and hours of work and requires a very steady hand, it's not just the hardware that's complicated these days because miniaturization means it's really hard to get inside and adjust everything without breaking something, but, you know, the, the average software stack or application these days It is immensely complicated and you probably have huge amounts of data that you've sort of forgotten about. So yeah, uh, sometimes that money that you think, golly, that that should only cost five bucks to fix. uh, There can be a lot more work than you might think for someone who's prepared to do it properly and not just try and run some automatic tool and hope it works and then say, oh, it didn't work. Everything's broken, but I won't charge you, <laughs> which is not usually the, the outcome you
1: want. And to the point of this story, a lot of people are like, you're a computer expert. You should know this. And there's also a joke that like all computer repair is, is Googling stuff, which to a certain extent it is. But you got to Sometimes you got to do a lot of Googling
2: to figure out what's going on. So It's, it's- also like saying you can Google how to plaster a wall which indeed yeah. you can. And there are videos that show you how to plaster. <laughs> yeah. But should I? <laughs> but should you, I? Have you ever no. watched a professional plasterer and thought that's the physics, the applied mathematics says you can't do that. You can't pick up plaster on a trowel and just fling it at the wall and have it cover half of it and stick. Like that, that you don't learn that overnight. Um, and... There's the issue also, as anyone who started any of their own home repairs will surely know, is the first 80% of the work takes the first 80% of the time, and the next 20% of the work takes the remaining 80% of the time. Here, here.
0: I love paying an expert for their expertise. Let me just put that out there. I love not having to figure something out. So I commend you, computer experts, <laughs> because uh you have helped me out many a time guys we have reached the end of the episode if you have enjoyed what you've listened to you can maybe leave us a five-star review in apple podcast it literally will only take you 60 seconds if even that uh and it would be a nice holiday black friday gift for us you don't have to leave us a black friday gift allowed and of course if you want you can go ahead and hit us up if you have an oh no Obviously, you can DM us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or you can email us, tips at sophos.com, or you can leave us an anonymous comment on any of our Naked Security articles. I would love to hear your oh no. This oh no this week was more like a, oh yes, what a great zinger. But I'll take any oh no. So come at me. And until next time,
1: stay Stay secure.
2: What's the biggest Street Fighter number?
1: Oh, I don't know. It's a good cue. They just kept making Street Fighter Two. It was like Street Fighter Two Turbo, Street Fighter Two Advance, Street Fighter Two the sequel, Street Fighter II, Two Two. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>